No, go ahead, talk. <laughs> Say, you're listening to the Word Bros Podcast. No. Do it. No. Do it. <laughs> Say, you're listening to the Word Bros Podcast. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> you're listening to the Word Bros Podcast. The WordBros.com. We are very lucky today to have a very important man who's taking time off of his busy schedule to talk to the Word Bros. We are talking to Gamal Hennessy. You know him. You love him. Gamal is the um, is the comic book attorney and business consultant. He's got a new venture that he was telling me about at uh, New York City Comic Con called the Comics Publishing Institute. Gamal, how are you, sir? Doing pretty good. But let's let's get it clear right in the beginning. I'm not a very important person. Yeah. <laughs> Not, not at all. Come Let's on, just dude. put that. Yeah, Come there's on. a list of important people, probably not on the list, and that's okay. That's fine because well, I get to like talk to people who make comics for a living, so I'm fine. I don't need to be important. Okay, well, I'm gonna disagree with you because if there is a list of important people, you're somewhere on it. As, I mean, that's a good place to. I'm not saying you're at the top of the list, but I'm okay, saying okay. you're somewhere, like maybe in like <laughs> the bottom half. I don't know, but you're there, yeah, and that's all that lower matters. Lower two thirds. That's fine. That's fine. but. Let's but see. I will say, you're gonna move up in the world with this this uh, comic book, this comics publishing institute that I'm super excited about. You were telling me about this at uh, New York City Comic Con when you when you blessed us with your presence and all I had to do was buy a cup of coffee. It was fucking great. Um, and you were telling me all about this class that Kevin actually takes. So tell mm -hmm. us what is the Comics Publishing Institute? Well, to understand the Comics Publishing Institute or CPI, you have to understand the nature of the comic book industry itself. Because ever since you had like the first issue of Superman came out, you had a situation where comic book creators writers and artists, they understand the craft of making a comic. They understand the art form of making a comic, but they don't understand the business of making a comic. And that puts them in a very poor position financially and legally because they can actually, you can make Deadpool, you can make the Transformers, you can make whatever you want. And it could be successful, but if you don't understand how the business works, you may not actually own anything that you're doing. You may actually have an amazing idea, but if you don't publish it the right way, if you don't manage the business the right way, the greatest idea for a comic will fail because we're talking about commercial art. So if you only know the art, you don't understand the commercial side, then the whole thing is harder to actually succeed on its own. And even if it does succeed, it's harder for you to actually benefit from that. So what I did in addition to well, I've been a comic book attorney and helping people out from a legal standpoint in comics for about two decades. And in 2016, 2017, I wrote this book, The Business of Independent Comic Book Publishing, to go beyond the legal aspects and help people really understand the entire process of publishing a comic. We were talking about project management and marketing and distribution and sales and all the other things that people don't really think about when they decide, I want to write a comic. But the thing about writing a book like that is as soon as you send it to the printer, the book is old. Yes, it's obsolete because, at that point. <laughs> yeah, things in the, have, in the industry have changed. Um, ideas, new ideas have popped up. So 
what I realized was that the book is a good foundation, but there needs to be this kind of ongoing dialogue, this kind of ongoing education. So in September, I launched the Comics Publishing Institute to help people do two major things. One, understand the basics of how the comic book industry works. Because the comic book industry is weird. It's not like a lot of other industries that people can get into and then make a living. And the other thing it helps you do is to actually figure out what decisions are best for your particular comic, for your circumstances, because there's not there's not one magic formula that you can apply to say, okay, my comic is now going to be successful because every publisher is different. Every book is different. Every situation is different. You have to like take all the different pieces and make decisions along the way that are going to put your comic in the best chance to succeed. So working in CPI as a member, you actually get that secure foundation and you figure out what steps you could take to kind of, do the best thing for your comic from a business and legal standpoint. That's a really great class. I wish something like this had existed when I first started getting into comics, uh, into creating back in 2009, 2010, because I feel like every creator you talk to, especially on the writing side of it, which is what I do, they're growing pains. And uh -huh. every one of those growing pains costs money. Yes. Because no one is going to work with a writer for free, especially someone starting out. So it seems like every one of those missteps ended up costing me money and setting me back on my comics journey. Now, you were saying that like you guys get into the nuances of like theories about what shows people can attend and doing contract like work for hire contracts and things of that nature. Like explain some of the the services or the kind of uh, a guidance that you guys provide over at CPI for the, for the new creator? Well, we actually break it down into three major ideas. There's um, insight, interactivity, and incentive. So from a, if we take the insight portion, what we do is we will break down various aspects of the comic book business and explain them in ways that you can understand. So we will, if we're talking about, let's say, filing copyrights for your comics, mm -hmm. I actually go into the Library of Congress website and I show you screen by screen how you actually file for a copyright. It's not a complex process, but once you actually, but if you don't, no one explains it to you, it's actually kind of confusing how to do it. If we're talking about contracts, we go into a deep dive in several levels. We'll just talk about the different types of comic book contracts collaboration, work for hire, licensing, publishing, distribution, merchandising. And then we talk about the elements that go into each one. We talk, we have a specific class just on negotiating contracts mm -hmm. and the concept of leverage and how to understand things like that. And so that's the insight part. And every lesson that we have is recorded on video. So you could actually go, if you can't um, attend our live class, because we have live classes um, twice a week, twice a month. You can attend the live class. The video is always available for you so that you can, whenever you're ready, you could actually just download that video and take a look at that information. From, if you start looking at the insight, I mean, the uh, interactivity part, comic book creators, because we're geographically dispersed, um, are often making comics in isolation. So you're not really connecting with the people who, other people who are in your certain situation, 
other people that you're, even the people you're making comics with, you may not see them till Comic Con. <laughs> you know, yeah. so we provide a community so that people can get together on a weekly basis and discuss a lot of the issues that come up in comics on a regular basis. People talk about, well, you know, they want to know what's the best way to do Kickstarter in 2022. They want to know how they could actually negotiate with people from the Philippines or India because that's going to get them a lower page rate. Things that you can't really discuss with people outside of comics because they don't know what it is that you're talking about. Exactly. But in com, in this group, everyone's kind of, they are all synced up to the same concept. So they all kind of understand what everybody else is going through. And we also bring in experts who are specialists in various aspects of the comic book business. So we'll bring, we brought in, when we started out, um, the CEO of Zoop, who's doing a alternative yeah. crowdfunding kind yeah. of thing. We brought him in. We brought in um, Mike Martz, who's the editor-in-chief over at Aftershock. We brought in Joe Illich. We brought in literary agents um, for graphic novels to actually help people understand how do you get a deal with like a Simon & Schuster or yes. a Penguin and things like that. So that interactivity helps people connect with people both in the group and experts who are, you know, have a specific expertise in the comic book industry. And finally, from an incentive standpoint, we try to make it um, financially attractive for everyone to become a member. So as soon as you join, you actually get a copy of this book, which is the foundation of the entire school. Then if you want to actually utilize the legal services that I still provide to, you know, start your business, get your contracts done, you get a discount for those services if you're a member of CPI. That's cool. If And again, if we, like I also provide um, business consulting. So I will help you write the entire business plan for your comic book publishing. Jeez. But if you're a member of CPI, there's a discount for that too. So all along the way, there is a financial benefit to actually being a part of CPI in addition to the lessons that we provide and the community that we actually offer. I have so many questions to ask you now. Uh, I will, and because when, as you were saying these things, you were explaining it, what you're, what you're teaching, how you're doing it. All these kind of bombs were going off in my head. Now, when you're talking about writing contracts, you're talking about me as a writer offering a contract to an artist or a letterer or a colorist. Yes. And like, and, and yes do, and no. Okay. So you explain that. So go ahead. Yes and no. Let's hear the yes and no part of it. If you're going to be doing independent publishing, where you're going to be setting up a situation where all of the rights to the comic are going to be owned by you, then you're talking about a work for hire contract. And we will actually, we actually help you walk through the concepts of that to understand how that works. Okay. But if you're working with another person, let's say you're a writer, you're working with an artist and you're creating a collaboration agreement where both of you are going to actually share the ownership of the intellectual property. That's a separate type of agreement. And we walk you through how to figure out that kind of situation. There's a third type. Let's say you, you and your artist put together a book and then you want to pitch it to, let's say, I don't know, SourcePoint Press. Okay. But so SourcePoint Press is going to give you another type of contract, which is a publishing agreement, so that you have to understand what rights you're giving up and what you're getting in terms of that agreement as well. Then if let's say you don't do the deal with 
source point and you want to go direct market, you want to go with Diamond. Well, Diamond is going to give you a distribution agreement. And that agreement is a separate type of contract that you have to understand so that you know what it is that you have to do and how it is that you're going to get paid if you're going to get paid from Diamond. So there's in comic wow. books, there's a lot of different types of contracts depending on what your position is and depending on what it is that you're, what it is you're trying to do. Dude, my my head is swimming right now with all of this information. Do you think this is how and why people who are new to publishing and who get burned by a publisher feel like things are predatory? Just because, is it actually predatory or is it just because there's so much information and different styles of contracts and different deals that it's just, you're just overwhelmed as a creator? That's part of it, but it's not the, that is not all of it. I mean, you have to keep in mind that comics is the kind of business that no one gets into comics because they think they're going to get rich. Hmm. That not, it's not the first instance. Like if you went, if you and I went into like pharmaceutical sales, we didn't go into pharmaceutical sales because we love pharmaceuticals as a kid. <laughs> we went into pharmaceutical sales because we thought that there was six figures at the end of the year plus a bonus. Yeah. So we are the decisions that we make in all of the in that business are going to be driven by the cash. In comics, most people got into comics because they read comics or mm -hmm. they're reading comics now and they love the medium and they love the stories that are in it. So when someone offers them something, they'd say, hey, you can be in comics. <sighs> it's like telling them they're going to get something for Christmas. Yeah. But then the problem goes to you go to the next level that people can, like if you go to, you teach yourself how to draw or how to write, or if you go to school to learn art or comic book illustration, there's very little in that education that actually deals with the way the comic book industry actually works. No one's going to teach you how to negotiate a page rate if you go to SVA, to the best of my knowledge. Mm -hmm. No one's going to teach you how to set up a publishing program or how to set up a profit and loss statement for your comics if you go to SCAD, because that's not their job. Mm -hmm. Their job is to teach you the intricacies of the art form. So you're talking about a person who is really in love with what they want to do, but doesn't know how the business works. And then you put them in front of a group of people who, under, who do understand the business and understand that generating long-term profits in comics is not an easy proposition. That's why so many comic book publishers are looking outside of comics for the real money draw. They want Netflix to call, basically. Yes. They want the merchandise deal. They want things that they know that if there's no comic, there's no, you can't have a Netflix deal for a comic if there's no comic. So they have to have a comic. But they're not necessarily looking to sell 100,000 units of this comic. They're looking to make sure, make sure that the losses are small enough so that they can stay afloat long enough to until Netflix call. Mm -hmm. But you have to look at the reality of comics itself to realize that Netflix cannot call everyone. It, in fact, cannot call most people because there's about, what, 100 different comics comes out every month? 
Yes. And that's not counting webtoons. That's not counting digital comics. That's just 100 comics come out every month. So that you're talking about three, what? That's 500 comics a year. Even if one deal got done through Netflix every single day, that's still not all the comics. <laughs> and you ha you're not looking at just comics from this year because a lot of comics that are, a lot of TV shows and things like Lock and Key or Umbrella Academy that are fairly new shows. 10 years old, these books. Those yeah. are 10 years old. You're yeah. talking about, there's so much comic book inventory for Hollywood to make shows out of that the idea that your brand new comic idea is going to be a Netflix series or a movie anytime this decade is highly unlikely. Mm -hmm. Not impossible, but don't bank on it. That's not a business model. I look at it, it's almost like some of the comic creators look at it like the high school football player who thinks he's going to make it to the NFL. Exactly. You know? Exactly. You could make it to the NFL, but you probably won't. <laughs> it's going to take a lot of fucking luck. <laughs> a lot of yeah, a lot of hustle. You're going to have to have find a way to stay afloat through high school, college, <laughs> until the NFL calls. And even it, like there's there's a story earlier this year. I think it was like Why the Last Man. Why the Last Man had was a classic comic book to media kind of crossover. High profile writer, major title, got the Hollywood treatment, and then got canceled like within before the season was over. Dude, they canceled it like after the third episode. It was done. Right. So this, even if it's a show like that, just because you get to Hollywood, doesn't mean that that's you. You have not actually, you know, thrown the ring into like Mount Doom. Basically, <laughs> you haven't got there yet. You're still. You still have to keep pushing even once the deal gets signed for Hollywood. So I'm saying all this to say, I think comic book creators and publishers need to develop business models where the comic books themselves are profitable. Mm -hmm. Because if the comic books are profitable, A, you don't have to wait for someone to call who may not ever call. And B, you're not just bleeding cash, you know, yeah. waiting for something that may not happen. Yeah. Now, do you think that's why some of these smaller publishers are getting into bed with Kickstarter to try to jumpstart that process of getting back into the black? I think what they're trying to do, and it's not, it's not a bad business model, is to actually use Kickstarter kind of like a movie premiere. So like you get all the hype and the fanfare and the people who are really into this project they will actually underwrite the cost of the project because mm -hmm. for some publishers, they have to put up a certain amount of money up front for the book to go out the door. They figure, okay, we can basically use Kickstarter and Kickstarter, this Kickstarter is not a store, but they use Kickstarter basically as a pre-order system. Yes. To actually justify the um, production cost of the book and the printing cost of the book that way, when the book finally gets its way into the direct market or the bookstores or the library, all that is gravy because they've already covered their cost, if the Kickstarter was successful, with the Kickstarter. So it's actually the one of the better ways, I think, to use Kickstarter long term because I, unless you're talking about a company like Iron Circus or even Iron Circus not doing this anymore, 
taking Kickstarter and then only using Kickstarter as your distribution is is not the probably the best idea for a long-term plan. You need a post-crowdfunding distribution model mm-hmm. so that when people, because inevitably people miss the Kickstarter. Yes. Or they realize they like your you or your book after the Kickstarter, you have to have a way to sell them the book. And a lot of people don't. They're like, okay, my Kickstarter was successful, which is great. But then what are you going to do after that? It's like a, if a movie comes out in the movie theater and then it goes away, well, the movie doesn't vanish. The movie goes on streaming, then the movie goes on cable, then the movie goes on TV. So the movie's always there. Yes. Same thing with the comic. So who could I talk to if I was a smaller company who wanted to kind of set up some kind of business model after the Kickstarter thing? Like if I wanted to expand my business, who could I talk to about that, Cabal? Do you know anybody who could probably help me out with that? Lucky for you, I actually know a person. Because one, like I, like I said before, one of the things I do is we take, we take people's books and we develop a business model for it that actually includes the development of the book the marketing of the book, the initial distribution, and then the long-term distribution. And we, but again, it's not a one-size-fits-all kind of thing because some books actually do not belong in a comic book shop because the reader of the book will never visit the comic book shop. So you figure out who your reader is, then you can figure out where to put the book to make sure that they will actually get access to it. You create a marketing kind of message that may not actually be talking to traditional comic book readers at all. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't have a traditional, quote unquote, Western comic, then trying to talk to those people is a waste of everybody's time. Yes. So you can, depending on what we do is we kind of open up your book, look at the, the characters, look at the demographics and the psychographics of who it is that you're talking about to determine who it is you're talking to. Then we actually use the tools that are available to everybody to figure out the best course of the best track, the best plan for your book, both in terms of development, marketing, distribution, advertising, and sales. Interesting. Now, cause the one thing I think you, there's a common like theme that runs through every comic creator's DNA when they're working with any type of publisher, there's one complaint and it's, they didn't market the book enough. They didn't market the book enough. They didn't market the book enough. No matter, these people could be working for Dark Horse or they could be working for Source Point Press. There's always that complaint. Why is that like the number one complaint for every comic creator is marketing? They didn't market enough. They didn't market. You make it sound like because the marketing plan isn't one size fits all. I think because we have quite a few publishers who are actually part of CPI, The answer to that, I believe, is a matter of resources. Because if a pub, let's say a publisher has 15 different books that are coming out, and each one of those books is a different type of book. So you have one romantic comedy, one historical horror book, one sci fi book, a spy book, a superhero book, and they're all coming out in like a two month span. Every book needs to have its own, has its own market every book needs to have its own marketing plan, which means, and to a certain extent, every book needs to have its own marketing team. Mm -hmm. So if you're a publisher and you have like, let's say you have six people working for you, you don't have 15 people who are going to be able to execute 15 different marketing plans 
in a time frame that is actually effective for that book. Because the horror book might need to get marketed in August, September for an October release when it hits Halloween. But your romantic comedy book might need to be get marketed in the summertime because that's the best time to do it based on whatever. So unless you, the reason that every, no publisher actually quote unquote does enough marketing is because they can't. Mm -hmm. What they have to be able to do is they have to be able to, hold on one second. Yeah, sure. Don't fall out of your chair. Well, I'm making sure that the computer doesn't go off because okay. yeah, they, I was told my battery was low. It's like I'm plugged in. It's like, no, you're not. You were, um, danger you, you were dangerously close to falling out of that chair too. That thing was teetering. I was worried about you. I, there. All the time. I practice, I practice. <laughs> um, so what, the, what we should actually have publishers doing is explaining to the creative teams, this is who your ideal reader is. This is the groups that you need to engage with because marketing is, doesn't happen a month before the book comes out. Mm -hmm. Marketing has to start like a year, year and a half before the book comes out. In fact, before, in many cases, before you actually get a publisher who'd agree to distribute the book, you should already be marketing the book. You should already be, the, the groups that you're going to be engaging with, you have to, because marketing is different from advertising. You're not actually telling people to buy a book when you're marketing to them. You are actually getting, ex getting accepted into a group of people who are going to potentially like your book. Mm -hmm. So let's say your book is, um, I don't know, a crime horror book, like a vampire mafia thing, let's say. That sounds right? great. You need to, as you're developing this book, you need to be joining the Facebook groups and the online discussions about any group or any story that is related to vampires and crime. You need to become enmeshed in that world and accepted by those people in a back and forth exchange over several months so that by the time you say, oh, by the way, I'm working on this book, you're actually talking to your online friends, yes. your tribe, people yes. who out who already see you as a positive source of information when they're scrolling on their timeline. If the only thing that they see from you is buy my book 50 times in various ways, they're going to ignore you and they're going to have a negative perception of you. Just to, just to break the fourth wall, in 2016, I started a Facebook group, the business of comic book publishing. Mm -hmm. And I started putting out all sorts of like, finding and posting all sorts of articles about the business of comic book publishing. And then people had questions and I would answer the questions about stuff that they were working on. And I did that for like two and a half, three years. So that by the time the book came out, there were like 3000 people who already knew exactly who I was, exactly what I was talking about so that the, the book could become more successful because I had, that was the marketing. I, at no point did I say buy anything. Yeah because that's not marketing. I'm learning so much from you. Now think if I just spend the money on your class, I would be a savant. I would know everything about this. I'm already learning so much. This is already such a, a wonderful experience. Uh, we were talking earlier, because you mentioned we've mentioned Kickstarter a lot during this conversation, because Kickstarter is so integral to so many people's comic book plans. Kevin and I would not have been where we are 
in this day and time, we wouldn't have a Ringo Award sitting upstairs in our in our living room if we if it wasn't for Kickstarter. There's big news. There's big news about Kickstarter and how they're going to the blockchain, and people are pissed. People are kind. Some people are really mad. Some people are confused. I told you off air. I read the Bloomberg article and it read like a bowl of alphabet soup. Like, what the hell is going on with Kickstarter? And are they shooting themselves in the foot here, or is nothing really going to change? I do not know if they're shooting themselves in the foot because, like you said, so many people who are going around the um, gatekeepers of traditional comic book publishing are using Kickstarter to jumpstart their publishing or it's their entire publishing model. Mm -hmm. And there are other crowdfunding tools out there, but Kickstarter is by far the biggest, the most well-known, the most respected. Now, what they announced earlier this week is that they are developing a blockchain company that is going to slowly start to be integrated into their overall um, company. And it's not going to just be comics. It's going to impact a lot of the other categories that they're talking about as well. And uh, now they try to find a carbon neutral type of blockchain technology, which means it's going to be less detrimental to the environment than other types of blockchain technology. They are going there. They have said that they're not going to instantly cut off what is known as basically digital currency, mm -hmm. which is basically getting, you know, money from your bank going into, you know, backing a project. But some people at this point, blockchain and crypto and NFTs are loaded words. These are now political positions. These yes. are not just technologies. These are not just financial tools. These are fundamental political stances. And the fact that Kickstarter decided that they're going to go in this direction means that from a political and to a certain extent marketing standpoint, everyone has got to, you know, now you have to choose a side. It's like the Civil War. It's like the Marvel Civil War. Whose side are you on? Exactly. And, but, and, we're, and we're talking about it in a way that for a lot of people, they may not even understand the difference between a digital currency and a blockchain currency and an NFT they may not actually understand which one is the most damaging to the environment and how it's damaging to the environment. They may not even understand why anyone would want an NFT in the first place. And all of those are valid questions. <laughs> but what's going to have to happen in 2022 is people are going to either decide they're not going to use Kickstarter anymore, or they're going to decide that they are going to use Kickstarter to a certain extent, or they're going to find another, an alternative way to kind of get their books out into the world. It seems or they're just going to use Webtoons and they're yeah, not going to worry about it anymore. They're not going to worry about anything. It seems to me though that like Kickstarter is kind of, I don't know, man, it, it seems to me, I don't want to make it sound, again, I've used Kickstarter. I love Kickstarter. I plan on using Kickstarter in the future, but it seems to me they've got the best scam in the whole wide world running because they don't really do anything for you. They just provide you the website, like the title Kickstarter. And then after that, they're just taking 5%. Like yeah. 
they're not offering you any marketing. They're not market offering you any fulfillment. They're not offering any advice, really. They're just giving you a platform. It seems like they got the best con in the business going. So why would they do something like that to mess this up? Well, it could be that for all the money that's coming in from comics on Kickstarter, there it could be, and a lot of, I guess a lot of com- people in comics don't really think about this. Kickstarter actually um, handles a lot of different kinds of projects, not just comics. Mm-hmm. They could have decided, and I don't know this, but that there's a, there's money on the table from all these other categories that is so much in excess of what they're getting from comics that the fact that 30, 40% of the comic book population leaves, they're still making, you know, 300 times more than they were making before if they go to blockchain. That okay. could be a theory. The other theory is because I don't think, and um, if you look at the, the Forbes article that came out, I guess, yesterday or today, the Rob actually suggested that, well, why, how would Kickstarter not actually anticipate this kind of blowback from the commu- a community that is highly engaged in Kickstarter and a percentage of them highly not engaged in blockchain. I don't think that they actually made the decision without thinking about that. I think they just thought, well, either A, the damage will not be that bad, or B, the upside is so much better than the downside, they don't care about the downside. They don't care about it. There you go. All right. And there's also many other sites that can fill that hole because you've got Indiegogo, but I know Indiegogo's got kind of a stain on their reputation because of the whole a comics gate thing, but I think they're trying to clean that up. And you mentioned earlier, an interesting kind of entry into this platform is Zoop, right? Uh, Zoop, yes. did, did I pronounce that right? Zoop? Yes, Zoop. It sounds like soup, but it's not. Um, <laughs> they are a, they, what they started out doing, and they started earlier this year, is they actually provided an entire suite of services. So they were actually doing crowdfunding and they were doing that post crowdfunding production and distribution that a lot of other people were not actually services they were not actually providing really but they announced yeah they announced late last week that they were actually going to um start providing crowdfunding services to anyone who wanted to move away from kickstarter so because they actually saw that well they're not in blockchain that's not their business model so if there was a group of people that needed crowdfunding services, they didn't want to use Kickstarter, they didn't want to use Indiegogo, and they didn't want to use like GoFundMe because for some reason that didn't even make sense. <laughs> they, you know, they can go over to Zoop. So it's something that I think is still in the works over there, but they're going to try to become that alternative so that people who don't want to use Kickstarter for whatever reason, even like you said, you may decide Blockchain or no blockchain, Kickstarter is not actually doing anything except providing a name that people actually recognize and trust. Mm-hmm. People are comfortable with the idea if they, they back a project on Kickstarter, that for whatever reason, that project is more likely going to actually happen and they're going to get their stuff. That's kind of, Kickstarter is basically providing um, social proof, brand recognition. Yes. That's what, and they're charging you 5% for and the infrastructure to actually make the thing go but you know 
This has been such a wonderful conversation, Gamal. I, I, I always enjoy my time talking with you. I always enjoy talking to you. You're so, you just know everything. Like you're, you're like the Yoda of the comic book business. And it's really great because again, you're talking about things that even I who've been doing this for like four, five, six, seven years, it's like, I never even thought about that. So it's just like you're you're planting these seeds in my head. Like Kevin and I went to C2E2. We had a great weekend selling books, but then at the end of the day, you're like, well, it cost me X to get here. It cost me Y to, to, to stay here. It cost me Z to get food. And like you even have like part of that is part of your lesson plan, correct? Like that's part of yes. your curriculum. Yeah, because we actually deconstruct um comic book convention finance. So you actually figure out out of all the comic book conventions that you could go to, you figure out which ones make sense based on who your market is, mm-hmm. who, where your people are going to go that you, you know, that's a convention that you should consider. But then there's charts like in this book, there's a chart and a breakdown of exactly every different cost that you will probably have to pay to actually go to this convention. And then you line up all those costs and then you can actually figure out how many books do I need to sell to actually cover the cost of going to the convention itself? Mm-hmm. And that way you realize, well, if it costs, let's say it costs you like $3,000 to go to a convention and you have like 300 books, you got to sell at $10 a book. You have to sell all the books just <laughs> to break even. Yeah. But you have to also consider, you know, shipping. You have to consider like, you know, shipping back and to and from the convention. You yes. have to consider the table cost. You have to consider like the hotel, airfare, if you're going to do airfare, food. You have to consider Barcon because that's a thing. You can't yeah. just not consider Barcon. You have to, you know, straight little things like a power strip or like, you know, cash to like give people change. Think. <laughs> Because if you're, and the thing is, if you're an artist or a writer and you're making comics, this is a very labor intensive and, you know, emotionally intensive process. So it makes sense that you don't think about, okay, how much, how many books do I need to print and ship and sell to break even at this convention? And am I going to be stuck behind a table in a booth for like 12 hours so that I can't go to the bathroom? Because you're trying to make comics. Yeah. What this book does is kind of take help you take a step back. And that's what CPI does. Help you take a step back and look at your comics from a business perspective so that when you're not talking to me, you could actually focus on the artistic perspective. It's such a, it's such a wonderful service. Um, this is, and it's almost like you said, it's like Netflix, like it's video on demand. It's the classes on demand. Like it's a really great service. I want you guys to check this out. Go to um, a comic book institute. What's the actual website? Because I'm looking here. It's like comicbookinstitute.thinkifci. Is there like Hold on. Just... I will give you, I will send you the link right now. You can share it with you, all your people. Yes, I certainly will. But because like, I think this is brilliant, man. Like it's so great. I want to, I'm going to sign up. Kevin is already a member. Uh, here we go. Uh, there we go. The comic book Institute. Yep. That's it right there. Uh, yeah, dude, it's, it's, it's wonderful. Like it's such a great service that I think a lot of people, like you said, they don't even really think about it. Cause I've, I've been to heroes. I've walked around the floor on heroes and I've seen so many creators that are just sitting at the table looking like they're rethinking their entire existence because they sold three books all weekend, but you d- and it's okay. 
you're just not prepared. You're not ready for all this yet. You need to take Mm -hmm. this class. You need to get some information. I mean, if I can tell you, dude, selling $5 books at Heroes, you ain't going to break even. Like, it's just not a thing. Like, but you can do it and you can come off so much more professionally and cool than me going, nah, man, your whole plan's fucked. But you, Kamal, you have all the answers as opposed to me just having all the criticism, you know? Well, here's here's the deal. It is it is counterproductive to tell someone, well, your business, your whole business model is fucked up. What I try to provide is some an alternative answer. It's like, well, here's what you can think about before you go to a show. And here's how here's like a chart to figure just to lay out in cold hard numbers. Does it make sense to go to the show? Now going to like what just as an aside, going to a convention is not just about breaking even. Mm-mm. There's a lot of connections, inspiration, and other stuff. And like we said, people love comics. They really just want to go and they want to like buy some comics. They want to hang out with their people, right? But you have to consider the cost and how much of that you're going to be able to absorb, how much you're going to be able to break even. Or if you have a company, how much you'll be able to write off from your taxes Ooh, so you don't worry about it in the first place. That's see? a good one too. That's a good one too. Nobody even thinks about that. Like nobody even thinks about that. Well, we try to tell people as they come into CPI, there are several different business structures that you can create and several different ways you can take advantage of the tax code to actually deduct things like your business travel, your business expenses, your printing, your work for higher costs for all the artists that you bring in so that at the end of the year, you could actually get some of that money back because you have a viable business. Yeah, We help them try to figure out a viable business. It's great, man. It's really great. You're really doing a great service to a lot of people. I want them to check it out. I want them to check you out. Um, and you said right now, uh, there's like a, what you're offering a discount with like a code. Yes. Yes. I just shared the code with you. It is CPI 2021. If you use that code, you get 20% off of the um, monthly fee for CPI. Boom. Because CPI is actually set up as a monthly subscription service. If you, it had, Depending on how long you join up for, the price actually goes down. There you go. So if you sign up for a monthly fee, it's $20. You sign up for three months at a time, it's $19 a month. Six months at a time is $18 a month. And if you sign up for a year, it's 16 bucks a That's month. That's not bad. That's not bad. And if I use the code CPI2021, I get 20% 20%. off of that too. That's awesome. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, you, you really don't think about, because this is your career, like this is what you do, but you're really offering like sage-like advice and guidance to people that want to make their, their artistic dreams come true. Because you even said yourself, you can go to SCAD and learn how to like do the technical aspect of it, but you don't know how to do any of the financial part of it. You don't know how to do any of the business side of it. And this is a really great opportunity for you to learn and figure it out and get it all hammered out. So not every mistake you make doesn't end up costing you thousands upon thousands of dollars. Exactly. Because it doesn't cost you extra money. It doesn't cost you extra time. And it doesn't actually take away your joy from doing comics. So many people stop doing comics, not because they don't like doing comics, but because the business side was so painful for them that they couldn't, it wasn't worth it. So they got out. With this, with this course and these books and this education, you actually get to make your decisions with some kind of insight. 
with some kind of plan as to what's going to happen. Now, having the plan and having the insight doesn't mean your book is necessarily going to be successful, but you're going to be have a better chance of being successful with all this information and knowledge than if you just kind of stumbled into it as back. It's wonderful, man. You're such a you're such a good dude. I, I I really appreciate you coming on and telling everybody about this service. It's really great. Come on, what you doing for the holidays, man? What you got going on? Um, I, we just got back from Seattle, and I'm gonna be at the con in New Orleans in first week of January. Oh wow! So the the holidays will probably be mostly low key. We'll stay in New York. That's cool. How about gonna- you? Uh, just kicking it in Cincinnati. We have other plans, but I can't say because my kids are still awake. But yeah, so we're just uh, okay, we're, okay. we're just kicking it in Cincinnati. Uh, that should be kind of fun. I'm excited about that. Um, so you're going right to New Orleans right after New Year's. You're going to break all your resolutions right then, or huh? That's it. Like right out the window. You're just the throwing key, them right the out. Key is don't have any resolutions, so you didn't break any. <laughs> there you go. There you go. All right, dude. Well, I'm going to let you go. I've taken up enough of your time. Dude, thank you so much for doing this. We really appreciate it. We want everybody to get involved. We want everybody to do this. And you can save 20% right now at CPI 2021. Just use that code when you sign up. I'm going to sign up. I'm going to use the code because I'm going to do it because I'm a cheapskate. But yeah, I'm, I'm learning. I'm, le- I'm learning the business of the business. Exactly. That's, That's awesome. what we're here for. You're listening to the Word Bros Podcast, thewordbros.com.